stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, maybe it's an interesting commentary on how much of a dud this budget was and how devastating this whole India debacle is as question period got underway just within the last 20 minutes. Uh, seem to be way more questions uh, about this India trip and the, the government doubling down on this crazy conspiracy theory that this was the Indian government, rogue elements in the Indian government trying to embarrass the Trudeau government. It's got so bad, by the way, that the Indian government even put out an official statement today. So, yeah, this is just getting worse. So the budget didn't make that story go away. And it's hard to see why it would have. It's a very uninspiring budget. I mean, is this a budget that affects your life in any meaningful way? Probably not. Is this a budget that makes you feel confident about the direction this government's going? Or more to the point, the direction of Canada's economy? Is there anything here that addresses some of the competitive challenges we face now and are certainly going to face in the coming 12 months? It really doesn't look like it. It appears like we've got a budget document from a government that's thinking more about politics than the economy, outflanking the NDP, positioning themselves for the election next year. I mean, it seems like the biggest talking point around the budget is something that's not really in the budget, but just kind of alluded to this idea of a national pharmacare program. Now, maybe we'll get one someday. Maybe the liberals are going to run on that in the next election. There's no money for that here. So what does that have to do with, with this budget? Andrew Coyne uh, writing in the National Post today and Post Media on the federal budget that has nothing to do with budgeting or the economy. That doesn't bode well. Andrew Coyne, a national columnist with Post Media. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Nice to be with you. Uh, I mean, it's probably not new that, that there's political themes to government budgets, that it's about positioning yourself politically, outflanking your rivals. But have the liberals really kind of outdone themselves here in that area? <laughs> yeah, it's usually uh, their budgets that have political themes to them rather than all politics and very little budget. Uh, it really is an incredibly uh, thin document from that standpoint, uh, very much stand pat, uh, very complacent. Now, there's some reason for that. We're in relatively good shape uh, fiscally uh, compared to other countries, compared to where we were uh, 20 years ago, these kinds of, those kinds of measures. Um, but we also face some pretty strong uh, economic challenges, both short-term and long, and there's no real evidence that the government is either aware of that or cares about it or certainly has much of a plan to deal with it. Regarding the budget deficits, and, and it's certainly the case that the Liberals had promised something much more modest in the way of deficits, and that by now, by 2018, going into 2019, we'd be close to, to balancing the budget. We're, we're nowhere near that. In terms of how big these deficits are, I mean, is, are these deficits of choice and are these deficits to be concerned about? Um, they're definitely deficits of choice. I mean, we are in peacetime. We're not in a recession. Uh, each time they've had better revenues than they expected, and they just take that windfall and spend it. So they're more or less deliberately staying in deficit uh, for various reasons. I think mostly, again, politically, because that's how they can show that they're not concerned with austerity. Uh, we shouldn't jump up and down about it too much. These are deficits of less than 1% of GDP. This is nothing like the deficits we had in the past. And the debt-to-GDP ratio, if their assumptions prove correct, will continue to fall. And so from that standpoint, you can say, well, what's the fuss about? The fuss is we are 10 years into a recovery. Um, you know, usually recessions come 
you know, maybe every fifth or sixth year. So, you know, we're overdue. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to have one, but certainly what it means is you should be planning against that event. You should be, you know, storing your nuts while you can, so to speak, uh, uh, against the, the winter to come. And and that would mean not just sort of almost nearly balancing the budget, having small deficit. It would mean running surpluses and starting to run down that debt in a much more substantial way. Uh, so it's, it's it, this is not, by the way, just a fault of this government. Governments typically do this. They say, look, we've just balanced the budget at the top of the business cycle uh, so that we can go plunging way into deficit uh, when the recession comes. And that's my worry is uh, uh, that we really haven't addressed that. And, of course, we've also got the provinces with their own deficit and debt troubles as well. So we really just can't look only at the federal picture if we're looking at the sort of the, the public debt as a whole in this country. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's an ugly situation here in Alberta. We're going to get an update from our finance minister later today, uh, find out just how bad things are. I mean, look, south of the border, and obviously we got to worry about what the U.S. is doing. I mean, I, clearly at the moment, uh, the Republican Party, the president, they're not too concerned about deficits. They're just going to blow the budget wide open to get this tax reform passed. And... Maybe that's not the best approach for Canada, but we can't ignore what's happening there either, at least in terms of competitiveness. Sure. Uh, and you don't have to uh, – uh, you can reform your tax system and, re- and bring down your marginal tax rate, particularly on the corporate side, without sacrificing revenues if you're also broadening the base, if you're eliminating loopholes and deductions and exemptions that don't serve any legitimate public purpose but are just basically cluttering up the system and, and were put in there to serve particular interest groups. So people have been talking about how there's a crying need for tax reform prior to this anyway. And the government kind of took a piecemeal approach with the ill-fated small business tax changes. But I think one of the lessons from that is don't do a piecemeal, do a much more broad-based reform. And yes, now you have with the Trump tax reforms, if I can call them those, where they've really brought down the U.S. corporate rate very sharply, uh, we've lost the advantage that we had for a couple of decades. Uh, and that ought to be concerned for us because we need that kind of tax advantage to compensate for some of the other disadvantages we have. Uh, so there's both the opportunity and the demand uh, for do something, and they've pretty clearly punted on that. Uh, maybe they'll come up with something next year. I don't know. But, but the, you know, the trouble is uh, the longer you wait, the people who are making business decisions aren't going to wait around for a year or two. They're, they act in, a, in advance, and they're looking at the situation now and saying, can I afford to take the chance and to wait on whether or not the government of Canada gets serious about this? Right. So if we want to reassure uh, companies, we want to reassure people who, who may be looking to invest in Canada's economy, if we're looking to spur investment, if we're looking to spur growth, productivity growth, there's not much here, is there? No, and this is more than just a defensive thing. This isn't just about reacting to uh, what's happening south of the border. We also have this issue of uh, an aging of population uh, where we're going to have, you know, 25% of the population over the age of 65, relatively fewer workers to pay for them, particularly to pay for their health care. This is a longstanding issue that we've been thinking about and talking about for some time. And as anybody who looks at it knows, the only answer to that in the long run is to raise national productivity uh, so that that next generation or two are so much wealthier than we are that they can pay for you know yours and my health care when we're in our 90s. Um, so uh, uh, that means getting started now. That means taking the measures that are required to to raise national productivity. And you know what most economists will say first and foremost among those are uh, opening your economy and your protective sectors to more competition. Now we'll through I just had a bit of a glitch in the radio there, sorry. Uh, opening to more competition and, and reducing marginal tax rates. 
Yeah. Uh, and and these are the kinds of things that that, uh, that we need to be looking seriously at. And again, we're not really addressing here. Regarding gender issues, I mean, as you point out, there, you, you can you can link equality and growth. If more women are working, if more women can enter the workforce, there's some some potential for economic growth there. But so much of what's in this budget and the language in this budget seems much more political, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, as you say, it's a legitimate issue. Uh, and there are probably some legitimate uh, measures in this budget. I don't want to, you know, brush them all aside. There, you know, we should be looking at ways to increase the participation of women in the workforce, to give them greater market power, greater tools with which to command higher wages, getting them into higher senior positions. These are all legitimate issues. Whether and how far any of these measures in the budget are actually going to contribute to that is obviously also worthy of debate. Uh, but there's also just a lot of rhetoric and ideology and and bureaucratic stuff. The, 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 when you have a budget where you spend a quarter of the budget uh, explaining in excruciating detail how you analyze the rest of the budget from a gender-based analysis perspective, uh, the value of that uh, to any but the most ideologically fixated uh, strikes me as, as pretty limited. All right, well, Andrew, we'll leave it there much more at uh, nationalpost.com. Appreciate your insight uh, on these matters. Thanks for joining us here. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, Andrew Coyne, national columnist of the National Post and Post Media, his thoughts on the budget, which seems more about politics uh, than economics, which is unfortunate, given what a budget is supposed to be. says, once upon a time, the federal budget was about the budget of the federal government. An annual opportunity for Parliament and the public to examine the fiscal or the federal government's program of expenses and revenues for the coming fiscal year. But it's become more and more political, all of it culminating in what we saw yesterday. 403-974-8255. We've got a lot to get to in the program today. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.